I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 156 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Another chilly week, but with the increasing warmth of the April sun, I'm finally able to light the smoker, crack off the roofs and take a quick look at the state of some of our colonies. Also this week, have you ever wondered why some colonies seem to build up faster than others in spring? Stay tuned for all the answers. short and sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Another week passes us by, so it's welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I trust you're all safe and well still and continue to be wrapped up against this cold weather. As ever, my weather forecasting predictions fail once more, and we're now into a second week of below average temperatures for Norfolk at this time of the year. I think it's probably been the same across the UK, and our nighttime temperatures have been sinking below zero, or very near, leaving a ground frost on most mornings, and that's pretty much every day of the week. This cold weather has given me a much-needed window of opportunity to finish moving colonies and equipment to various out-apiaries, in preparation for when the high-pressure system that's currently sitting above the UK moves over to mainland Europe and starts to drag warmer air up from the warmer southern climes. Well, at least that's what I'm hoping. It's certainly been a long wait this year to finally get into the hives, and this week last year I was up a scaffold tower cutting out a colony that had taken up residence on the side of a church. You may remember me reporting on that last year. Well, that colony has become two colonies in their own right after being split and are doing very nicely at the 14 by 12 apiary, full of bees and waiting to get out into the warmth of our spring. Looking back briefly through the photographs that we took, we were well into weekly inspections this time last year and had plenty of bees on the pollination site of the oilseed rape crops out in the Norfolk countryside. It certainly feels like we're a good couple of weeks behind last year's position and I also think the oilseed rape is a little delayed at some sites too. I'm fairly comfortable with leaving the colonies at the moment. I don't think that any will be swarming in the next week. At least I've got my fingers crossed and hoping that that's the case but I think it's probably unlikely. I've seen very few drones still. There are some appearing, and drone cells generally have been popping up in small batches in the colonies that I have been able to look in on. Inspections have been few and far apart, but I have been actively managing the colonies, and I'll explain what I mean in a moment. There are still colonies out there that do need some food, and feeding should continue on those colonies that don't have enough resources to function properly. Here we go again, I hear you cry. He's banging on about resources again. Well, I make no apology, especially for all the novice and beginner beekeepers out there. It's a tremendously important concept to remember and to take on board. Once you have this in mind, a way of thinking perhaps, or better still, a way of picturing what's happening within the hive, once you have this in mind, managing your colonies becomes a lot easier. To explain what I mean, it's easiest to perhaps picture a large factory because, let's face it, that's what our beehives basically are. A factory producing two end products, if you will. 
Firstly, our factory's production line produces honeybees and hive maintenance products, things like royal jelly, brood food, and wax for building comb and so on. Then we have the second production line, which produces a surplus of honey. The factory being split into two sections, the main processing plant and the secondary production floor. We know them as a brood box and supers. In the brood box, all of the day-to-day tasks are managed, and this is where all external resources pass through, on their way to being used or processed and stored. At this precise moment in time, many of our factories, or beehives as we know them, are low on all resources. The HR department is struggling to recruit enough team members to work in the various departments, the workforce are being stretched to breaking point, and there's a constant call from the logistics team for more raw materials in order to fulfil demand. If the team can't get everything clicking, then it's going to break down. And this is where we find some of our overwintered colonies, a vastly reduced workforce struggling to keep up with demands both internally within the hive for food and care of developing young, and external forces such as a lack of foraging workforce due to the cold weather, forcing more bees to stay inside to keep the brood nest at that important 35 degrees Celsius. And of course, if you were with me last week, you'll know that's around 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Anyway, back to resources and how can you help your colonies get through the remnants of this cold spell? Well, you can keep feeding either fondant or no, some light syrup. Personally, I'm feeding whatever I have to hand. It's actually a mix of both. Not in the same hive, you understand, just that some colonies already have fondant on, particularly the nukes, but some that are growing well have been moved from three-frame setups into six-frame boxes and fed leftover syrup from jerry cans that was around last autumn. We really don't want to waste anything, do we? The issue of bees in a colony is a tricky one. As the number of workers decreases over winter, the expectation is they are replaced with sufficient numbers to maintain the colony until the warmth of the spring gives them a helping hand, allowing more foragers to leave the hive and thus increase the external resources coming back in. But some colonies struggle at this point, and it may be because they were on the small side going into the winter. A smaller number of bees at the start means there will undoubtedly be a smaller number of bees at the finish of the winter months, and we really hope we get a warm start in the season to help these colonies along. When the weather works against us a little, as it is now, these colonies can easily perish or, at best, get held back longer than they should, which means they don't build up quickly enough to produce a surplus of honey through the year, and again, the beekeeper is left wondering if they'll ever get a jar of honey from their bees. If you have a couple of colonies, and I always recommend to beginners that they start with two, or at least finish their first year with two colonies as a minimum, if you have two colonies, you can equalise them out in the spring. This applies to a larger number of colonies as well, of course, and I often talk about the traffic light system of frame swapping. More of that another time, perhaps, or I'll go off at a tangent and I may never return. If you have two colonies, both healthy, one colony seems way ahead of the other in that it has, for example, seven frames of brood and the other one only has three. You could remove one or two frames of brood from the strongest and pop them into the weaker one, thus balancing the strength of each, but importantly, 
giving more resources to the weaker colony. Now I have a couple of tips to talk about here which could be the difference between this intervention working and it's simply killing two colonies with one fell swing of the axe. Firstly, and I'm repeating myself here, the colonies must be healthy, so you'll need to get into them and have a quick inspection. You must look at them no matter how brief the inspection is. You've got to be certain you're not moving disease from one colony into another healthy colony and simply spreading that disease. Secondly, the weaker colony has to be strong enough to cope with the sudden influx of brood. And again, I have another tip for you. When you move the brood from a strong colony to a weaker colony, always try to move wherever possible sealed brood. The reason for this is quite simple. Sealed brood is predominantly self-sufficient. The brood is capped, which means it's been fed as much as it needs and it needs nothing else in terms of resources except for one thing, and that's warmth. And this is really important. Move only those frames that it appears the workforce can adequately cover to maintain a reasonable temperature to allow the brood to continue to grow and develop. The good news here is sealed brood doesn't need to have the thermostat turned all the way up to 35 degrees Celsius. It can cope with slightly lower temperatures, which means it doesn't need as many bees covering it to survive these colder days and nights. So when you transfer them across, put them towards the outside of the brood nest. They do still need a good covering of bees, so don't add too many frames at once. And I would suggest just one frame at a time for those smaller colonies. Just make sure that you don't push them too far too soon. The good news is that the sealed brood is going to be a lot closer to emerging than any open brood they have, and so the team of workers will get additional help sooner than they maybe would otherwise have had if they'd been left to their own devices. But remember, healthy bees and plenty of resources. So, back to my visits to the apiaries and some of the results of those inspections. Although I've moved a lot of bees, I've not yet been into all of them to see what's going on. One of the benefits of having a large number of colonies is the differences between the weight of the colonies is fairly apparent quite quickly when you're lifting so many. This means that when we find a very light colony, it immediately raises the alarm that they may be a little short on resources, both bees and food. It then becomes a simple task of highlighting that colony and popping back in to check out what's going on. I don't ever open up colonies for inspections immediately after moving to new sites. It's much better all round really to give them a few days to figure out where they are and for them to settle into their new surroundings before pulling them around too much. It's better for me too, far less stinging. If I do find a very light colony when I'm moving them, I'll often put a bag of fondant on them immediately, but that's no big deal and it gets food into them straight away just in case that's what they need. So what did I find? Well, as usual, it was a mixed bag. At the Fishing Lakes apiaries, we had some very nice homebred colonies growing in size and looking in really good shape, but also a couple that looked as if the queens are struggling. And we also have the drone-laying queen colony that I spoke of previously. There was one colony in a standard national hive that was so large that they'd already begun building drone comb up into the roof space. This colony had been left behind because it had what I would term a dodgy floor. It was an old wooden Langstroth floor 
with a couple of lumps of wood nailed onto the outside so that the side rails were wide enough to allow a national brood box to sit on it. But the entrance block was positioned in such a way that it wasn't easy to fix it in place, so the hive wasn't going to be moved until we replaced the floor. This was on Wednesday of this week and completed fairly easily enough with the help of Pete. The colony was desperately in need of more space and so we added a second brood box full of frames with foundation straight on top of the existing brood box with no queen excluder. I do find the national brood boxes slightly undersized for the size of colonies that we have currently and so a double brood whilst not my ideal setup is better than a swarming colony or at least fingers crossed. One colony I've not yet attempted to look in is the top bar hive. Again, it's a colony at the fishing lakes and due to the nature of the hive, I don't want to open it up before we get some warmer weather. You see, the top bars will be set solid against each other with propolis and once I split the bars apart, that seal will be broken and then I'll want to scrape down the sides of the top bars to get a nice clean edge to push them back together nice and snugly. With the weather so cool at the moment, I think that task will take too long and so I'm going to let them continue to fly and forage when and where they can and probably get into them in about 7 to 10 days time, fingers crossed. We then popped over to the farm apiaries, this is the location of the Honeypool Langstroth hives and they're all really close to the oilseed rape fields. With this in mind, the main task of the day was to check that they had enough space and again checking that all was well with the colonies. We've just set up a new apiary at the farm. I've named it The Meadow. It's not very imaginative, but, well, the hives are in a meadow, so it's fairly descriptive. Anyway, these are currently commercial hives that are going to be swapped out for Honeypool Langstroths via mainly Shook Swarms, so do look out for those videos on our Patreon page, but I will be posting one or two videos to YouTube as well, so it might just appear there too. The plan is to continue to publish the vast majority of our work on our Patreon page with occasional videos going to YouTube, possibly once a week or once a fortnight. The colonies at the meadow are a bit of a mix, some really strong boxes full of bees but also quite a few weak ones. The average to strong colonies all got a super in the standard above and beyond setup, that's to say one above the queen excluder and one beyond the crown board. By beyond, I also mean above, but above and beyond sounds so much better than above and above. And here's why I position them in that order. With the oilseed rape, the nectar can literally drip out of the flowers once conditions are right, and at that point, the bees need all the space they can find. I would normally put the two supers on top of each other, above the queen excluder, but below the crown board. But the weather has been so chilly overnight at the moment, I didn't want to give them too much space above the brood nest to have to keep warm. By putting one super on top of the crown board, it at least gives them a smaller volume to keep warm, whilst the super above the crown board can be accessed if by some miracle the weather should warm up significantly before I get back out there next week. Unlikely, but you never know with our weather patterns. The very large colonies can just about cope with a couple of supers right now, but remember, oilseed rape granulates notoriously fast, so if it's given the slightest chance to granulate, it will. Better to keep the volume to a smaller amount and let the bees get on with filling that for a week. 
I'm really excited to see what this week will bring and to see how the bees are progressing as we head into the latter part of April. Now, I know for some of you, this podcast will feel a little like closing the barn door after your eggs have hatched. I am, of course, referencing Jack Aubrey here. Check him out on Google if you're wondering at the mixed idiom. Once again, I'm on dodgy ground, if you'll excuse the pun. I'm not sure if that is actually an idiom or some other type of expression. Anyway, if you've come to my podcast via its public release, then it's going to be mid-May or beyond that you're listening to it, and these references to April will literally be too late. Why not treat yourself to a podcast subscription to get the very latest tips and techniques from me each week as they're released? As things stand, it's going to cost less than a couple of Starbucks coffees, and that's drive through prices. Head over to my Patreon page and sign up to my Podcast Plus tier for the very latest beekeeping chat and an occasional maths and English lesson too. So to sum up the week that was, it's looking like a few colonies needed a feed, a lot of colonies are now building nicely and heading into next week with growing resources, which should mean we're set to start worrying about swarming. But that's for another time. Finally, my thanks to the team of helpers that I have around me, particularly Steph and Pete. I couldn't get the job done without your support. Join us on Patreon and we'll do all we can to help you have your most successful beekeeping season yet. Well, that's it for this week. I'll catch up with you all again next time. But for now, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Beekeeping short and sweet.